Good morning, everyone. As promised, uh, we are going to be dealing this morning with the first chapter or a portion of the first chapter of the book of Acts of the Apostles. For those of you that need to turn your Bibles there, I hope you do have your Bibles with you or that you can follow with the bulletin. The reading is in the bulletin, but if you want to use your own Bibles, please open to the book of Acts. It is the fifth book in the New Testament after the Gospels. Before I deal with the issue at hand, which I told you was up, down, and out, I think it's important that we give a little bit of context to what we are about to deal with. Uh, the book of Acts was written by Luke, uh, the disciple of Paul, uh, the doctor, the physician. Uh, he's also the author of the Gospel of St. Luke's that we often read and that is a very wonderful and beautiful uh, gospel to read in which he tells us about the life of Jesus. And that is the reason that he begins uh, the book of Acts almost in identical fashion as he begins the gospel by referring to a person named uh, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus in Greek actually means uh, lover of God lover of God, but it could also be translated as the beloved of God. And uh, it may have indeed been an individual, someone high up in the emperor's uh, court or in the emperor's uh, rule, and someone who had become a believer, and maybe someone who has inquired about the life of Jesus and knowing the gospel. Or it may well have been written to all followers uh, of Jesus. But Luke begins by saying, in the first book, O Theophilus. And I want to tell you that the first book is the gospel, the gospel of Luke. So this is actually the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Luke, volume 2. Okay, so in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And that kind of sets us up. Uh, we know, and you have heard me preach before, that uh, the day of ascension happened 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, immediately after Easter morning, Jesus began to appear constantly to his disciples and to other people. And he began to appear in different places, in different ways, proving over and over again that he indeed had risen from the dead. He was not an apparition. He was not a, 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 a something in their minds. It, he actually was with them. Uh, you may remember that he even said to Thomas, here, touch me. I'm not an hallucination of any sort. Touch me. And at one point he said to the disciples, give me something to eat. And ghosts don't eat. 
So give me something to eat. And he, he just constantly proved in a number of ways to those that were walking to Emmaus, to those that he met uh, in, in Galilee, uh, by the Sea of Galilee when he was preparing breakfast for them and they had been out fishing. He constantly appeared to many, many of the disciples. In fact, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us a list of all the people that he appeared to in different ways with different proofs that it was him resurrected. Uh, and for 40 days he did that, not only to the disciples, but to the women and 500 brethren at the same time. And we are told here by Luke that for 40 days he appeared and proved the resurrection to them. And he used those 40 days to teach them about the kingdom of God to teach him about the kingdom of God, because that was going to be the one message that he was commissioned into them uh, to, to spread around the world. He was, number one, telling them for 40 days about the kingdom of God and also telling them that God was going to give them the Holy Spirit. And he began to teach about the two baptisms that we find in the New Testament. One we call the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance, the baptism of preparation for the Messiah that was to come, for God to show up, for Jesus to appear, Emmanuel. It was a baptism of preparation, a baptism of repentance, a baptism of cleaning, a baptism of turning around. But then eventually we start seeing a Christian baptism which is a baptism not only of repentance, but baptism uh, in the name of Jesus. And then eventually, as the church moves out into Gentile world, we begin to see the baptism in the Trinitarian formula, baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which is how we baptize today those who become believers. But now Jesus is speaking about a third baptism, some people object to the, the word baptism here, but I don't care what you call it. Indwelling, coming of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't care what it is that we call it. What is important is that we receive the gift of God, which he promised to the disciples from the Old Testament. He's been talking about creating something new in all of the believers recreating their hearts. Hearts of stone would become hearts of flesh, and he would pour his spirit. And he uses the prophet Joel to speak a great deal about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself taught constantly during his life on earth and during those 40 days, he constantly taught them that the Holy Spirit was coming. The Holy Spirit was coming. And here we have the idea that Jesus says to them, I don't want you to depart from Jerusalem. After I leave, I want you to stay, tarry in Jerusalem. Tarry together. Pray together. Wait together. Expect together. Because God is going to send His promised Holy Spirit upon you. They were going to be needing the Holy Spirit if they were going to be the church that... God needed them to become. So what we have here 
as an introduction from Luke and from myself. What we have here is an introduction of what happened during those 40 days and the fact that Jesus tells them to wait until the day of Pentecost. Now, liturgically, I want you to realize that we just celebrated Ascension Day this last Thursday past, a few days ago. From Easter to Ascension Day is 40 days. And then Jesus ascended to the heavens to be at the right hand of the Father. The day of Pentecost, as the word means it, is 50 days after Easter. So from Ascension Day to Pentecost Day, there's an additional 10 days, and that is going to fall next Sunday. We're going to have a magnificent celebration as we pray and we learn about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, uh, all of the things related to Pentecost. And we're going to ask God, give us a Pentecost today. Give us a Pentecost to our church in the midst of all of this that we are experiencing in, in this virus and this pandemic. Give us a Pentecost. Give us a Holy Spirit moment, a Holy Spirit indwelling, a Holy Spirit in filling right in our homes. So liturgically, we've celebrated Easter. Last Thursday was Ascension Day, and now we look forward to Pentecost next Sunday, May 31st. After the 40 days are over, we are told in Scripture that Jesus took his disciples over from Jerusalem and from the upper room where they often gathered, and they went to the Mount of Olives, down the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives, and you should all become very familiar with the Mount of Olives. It's a very important mountain. Not only is the Garden of Gethsemane there, uh, but that is the, the mountain in which Jesus ascended to heaven. And it's also from the east, from the side of the Mount of Olives, that we are expecting the second coming of Christ uh, to also come into the city. And so... What we have is Jesus takes his disciples and those who are following, uh, perhaps even the women and Mary, his mother, they go over to the Mount of Olives and gives them last instructions. They have questions for him. He gives them last instructions. And then before their very eyes, Jesus begins to ascend, begins to ascend, and we are told that he was caught up into the heavens, and away from them. You can only imagine. They thought they had already lost them on Good Friday. And then they get all excited about the resurrection of Jesus. They get all excited about the power of God, evident in that resurrection and in all that Jesus was teaching them. And you can imagine then the mixture of all but also of lost once again as Jesus begins to ascend and is caught up in the clouds and disappears from their eyes, from their presence. And you can imagine the, the sense of now what? 
Now what? What do we do? And uh, Luke tells us that two seemingly angelic individuals, two angelic individuals uh, are standing by and they say to the disciples, um, what are you looking at? What are you looking for? That Jesus that you just saw ascend to heaven will return in the same way as you saw him ascend. He will once again descend, which is a reference to the second coming of Christ. Now, part of the question that uh, many people might wonder is, so Jesus ascended to heaven. Is he idle in heaven? What is he doing in heaven? Uh, we know that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, which is the, the place of great authority, to be at the right hand of his Father. That's where he came from. So John tells us about the glory he had with the Father before the world was ever made. And Jesus is returning to that same glory. But in case you think that Jesus is just standing there idle, I want you to recognize what Hebrews chapter 7 tells us when it tells us that Jesus is there interceding, praying, mediating between you and the Father. And isn't that a wonderful picture to consider that Jesus is still your Lord, that Jesus is still your God, that Jesus is still for you every step of the way. That every time you pray a prayer to the Father and you say, God, I pray to you in the name of Jesus. I can almost imagine Jesus whispering to his Father, that's one of mine. Listen to his prayer, Father. And interceding for the Father, interceding with the Father for you. Interceding, even when you have no words to say, even when your heart is so broken, so torn, that you don't think you have a prayer, Jesus says, I'm praying for him. I'm praying for her, Father. This is one of mine. I stand here. I bled for that person. And I am here interceding, mediating between you, my Father, and that your child in heaven. The work of Jesus is to continue to intercede, to continue to pray, to continue to stand for you and with you. He is in heaven in a bodily form, a resurrected bodily form. He's still one of us. He still looks the same as when he was here on earth. Just a different body. But still for you and with you. And he is constantly, his heart is overflowing for you. For all your needs, for all your prayers, for all your joys. He rejoices with you with the Father. And he prays for you when you pray. And even when you can't pray, the Holy Spirit in you prays. And Jesus intercedes for you. That's his job in heaven right now. Very active job that he has before the Father. So I've dealt a little bit with the up that I mentioned. Up, Jesus goes up. The second thing was the down, which I also mentioned in a way. We 
saw him ascend to glory and we expect him to come back in glory. We expect him to come back because he promised that he would come back. And he promised that he would ask the Father for his spirit. And his spirit did indeed come to the church on the day of Pentecost. So we have talked a little bit about the context and the up, the ascension, and the expectation of his descent from heaven in glory with all the angels and the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. And that takes us to, to the out, because in talking about the kingdom of God, the disciples, one of the last questions they have for Jesus is, Lord, now that you've resurrected, now that you have shown your power, now that you have taught us about the kingdom of God, is this the moment? Is this the moment that God returns to Jerusalem, the kingdom? Is this the moment that he returns it to the Jewish people? It's now the moment that we go back to the golden age of Israel during the reign of David. Is this the time that we are free again from the Roman empires, the, the Roman usurpers? Is this the moment, Lord, in which the kingdom of God comes and we are part of that kingdom? One of the things that that bless me in a way is that Jesus does not respond by saying no. He does not say no, this is not the moment. He also doesn't say yes, this is the moment. In fact, he says to them, it, it is not the moment, it is not for you to question whether this is the moment or is not the moment. This is said only in the Father's heart. It is the Father that will determine the moment in which the kingdom of God will completely absolve and, 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 and come and, and, and take over the world. He doesn't say, yes, it is. He doesn't say, no, it isn't. What he does say is that we are living in the in-between time between Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' ascension, and Jesus' second coming. And in that in-between time, the church has a job to do. When Jesus is coming back, it's only set in the Father's heart. That's why Jesus even says at one point, I don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man will come. It's not that he's not any less God. It's just that the day had not been set. Or Jesus would have known it. Because he is completely God. Completely omniscient. Completely almighty. He is completely in every ways. The point is that the moment had not been set. Because it is in the Father's prerogative alone. To say this is the moment. This is the day. This is the hour. And the Father had not said that day yet. So Jesus says to us that it is not for us to question when. It is our job 
to be serving God in between the, the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. And that moment when the Father decides the books are now closed. The day of salvation is over. The time of the church is complete. And then Jesus returns. And there will be then the judgment of the living and the dead. But in that in-between time, this is what Jesus says to them. He says, And when he had said these things, actually says in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Do you have power today? Has Pentecost come into your life? Has the Holy Spirit come into your life? Have you been baptized, indwelled, infilled? Has the Holy Spirit come into your life? Have you opened your heart and asked the Father, Father, give me your Spirit. I open myself to you in faith in Jesus, and I want your Holy Spirit in me. Because that is the moment. And Jesus says to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. See, Jesus did his job. The Holy Spirit has done his job and is doing his job. The Father has done everything he promised and caused to be prophesied from the Old Testament all the way through. All of them have done their job and they have commissioned you and I to do our job. Not alone, not by human power or human ingenuity or human wisdom, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living God, the same Holy Spirit that moved upon the face of the waters in the beginning of Genesis. The same Holy Spirit that has anointed so many people for ministry throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. The same Holy Spirit that came upon the church and turned them into fearful, unsure individuals into the powerhouse of the gospel that all disciples of Jesus become. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. Now, we take that word witness to mean that, that we will be testifying, that we will be giving witness, we will be giving testimony of who Jesus Christ is to us. And that indeed is what the word means. But the word also has another meaning, which is very important. The Greek word there for witness is, is the word for martyr. Martyrum. 
It's the word for you need to be willing to die for this witness, for this message about Jesus, this message about the Holy Spirit, this message about the kingdom of God, this message about what God is yet to do. You are to, listen, it's not about pews. God knows that we don't need pews. He has been proven. We don't need buildings. If one thing this pandemic has shown is that you and I are the living church, not the brick and mortar church. You and I are the martyrs. You and I are the witnesses of the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the world, to all people, beginning in Jerusalem, moving on to Judea, going on to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, it's, it's often good for you and I to consider what is your Jerusalem. And your Jerusalem may just be the people in your family. That may be your Jerusalem. You need to be a witness to those that you know, to those that you love, whether it's on the phone, whether it's on FaceTime, whether it is in Zoom, whatever means you use to connect with family members, you need to use them to tell your family, your friends, those that you consider close circle to you. You need to spend some time telling them, praying for them, showing them love, showing them the presence of the Holy Spirit, praying for those who are hurting, you need to go out of the comfort zone and just talking about sports or talking about politics or talking about any of what's going on in the world. You need to spend some time saying with them, let me pray for you. Let me tell you what I'm reading in Scripture. You need to be a witness, a witness in your Jerusalem. There's so many ways we can do it. And it doesn't take very much. All it takes us saying to them, Jesus Christ is my Lord. And let me show you by loving you, by caring for you, by blessing you and saying, God bless you, by praying for them. That's your Jerusalem. And those are ways in which you give witness by the way you live your life in such a way that you bring glory to God. And then you move beyond that to your Judea, which may be larger, and that might include your co-workers. Most of us have the blessing of working from home, but we're still connected with our co-workers. We are still Zooming with some of our people. In our church, we continue to Zoom and do times uh, where all of our members can come together on Zoom and see each other and talk to each other and laugh with each other and bless each other. That may be your Jerusalem. How many of your people at work can know and know that you are a disciple of Jesus? What is your Jerusalem? Is it your neighbor's? It's your neighbors, your Jerusalem. What about those people that you often went to 
those little mom and pop stores that may be hurting right now? How about going and buying something from them? That's your Jerusalem. Ordering food, saying to them, God bless you, I'm here to support you. Making a phone call to your cleaner and saying, hey, I'm going to drop by, will you be there? And saying to them, God bless you, I'm praying for you. That's your Jerusalem. That's a little larger than your inner circle. That is your Jerusalem. And then there is your Samaria, which may be a little farther out. And those are other people who are needing to hear that there's hope in God. That you have hope, and that hope is shareable. That hope is real. There's so many people today that are lacking in hope. There's so many people today that are hurting so deeply. And I keep hearing news of pastors struggling, severely struggling. I keep hearing news of sports figures, young people dying, suicide. There's so many people without hope. There's so many people I don't even begin to understand what people are going through, but I do know they need to know and they need to hear that there's hope in God. And then, of course, there is the rest of the world. One of the things Jesus was saying to his disciples is you can't keep your faith locked in into what is comfortable and, and, and personal and, and for those that are close to you alone. Jesus says, the reason I rose from the dead wasn't you for, for you to keep it, but for you to give it away. One of the reasons that I'm interceding in heaven is not just for you. I'm interceding for so many people and they need to know it. And the reason that I'm coming back again is not just for you. The world needs to know that the love of God is going to be poured out into the whole world. And they need to be prepared to receive this. And they need to, to be ready in heart and mind and soul. And they will only know as you and I live out our faith in between Easter and the second coming you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, will be witnesses empowered by God's Holy Spirit, not over us, not beside us, not behind us, but right inside of us, giving us all that we need to be the person, the believer, the follower that God has asked us to be and commissioned us to be. So Lord, is this the time that politically we're going to go back into power? Is this the time that theologically we're going to see things? Jesus says, not no and not yes, but rather wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. You're going to receive power. What is for the now it's not political. It's not theological. What is for the now is the ministry and mission of the church. 
And you, you who are watching me today and listening to me, you and I have a job to do until we go to him or he comes to us. When the Father determines. But in the in-between time, you and I are the witnesses. Even unto martyrdom, we are the ones that need to testify and tell the world that God is the true God. And His Son, Jesus Christ, is the true Son. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God now dwelling in us. And we are His church. His living church. His branches. I want to encourage you to look carefully again at this first chapter of the book of Acts. Up, ascension, down, second coming, and out, which is your job and my job and the commission that God has given us. So let us be prepared for next Sunday when I will have an opportunity to pray for you that you experience a new Pentecost in your life, in your home, a transforming presence of God in your life. May the Lord bless you and prepare you for all that God has ahead for you and for me. Let's go, church. Let's go.